0: Hello everyone! Welcome to Subject to Interpretation. My name is Gabriela Vialba, and I am the Creative Media Director here at Delamore Institute and I would personally like to thank you for tuning in. This is our space for professionals and friends in and out of the field to discuss topics relevant to interpreters. We pride ourselves in on being one of the very few podcasts for professional interpreters out there. So we hope you benefit from today's episode, we hope you find inspiration and learn something new and simply enjoy. And welcome, everyone, to another episode of Subject to Interpretation, where we talk about um, important topics in the field, and we hold discussions with leaders and pioneers in the field of interpreting, just about the profession and their journeys and their roles in it. And one of the neatest things about the interpreting profession is that it's one for people who like to help others. And today we have an interview with a helper of helpers because we know the helping profession, when we talk about it, it's typically medical or mental health or social work. And Ariana Aguilar is here and she's a master certified Spanish court interpreter as well as a certified medical interpreter but she's mostly active in the field of, med- of mental health interpreting. And um, she actually authored a book called Mental Health Interpreting, Unique Challenges and Practical Solutions. So without any further ado, I want to go ahead and introduce you to Ariana. Welcome to the show, Ariana. How are you doing today?
1: Hello. I'm doing
0: fine. Hope you are too. Great. So it's really great to have you on the show. Um, I know you did a webinar for us recently. And when I listened to it, I reaped the benefits. Um, for those of you who haven't seen it, I'll insert the link in the description but it was great it's on on self-care for interpreters it really makes an impact and um yeah so it looks like you're a mental health interpreter (laughs) yes great so how did you come across this I know a lot of people you know that they're not really thinking when their kids like I want to be an interpreter when I grow up so how did it work for you Well, actually, I got my start, as most interpreters do,
1: where you're working somewhere and they say, oh, you speak whatever language, good, you're the interpreter now. (laughs) (laughs) So actually, I started when I was 17 years old, when I graduated from high school. Uh, We were the only Hispanic family in the whole town. And after I graduated that same year, a new family moved in, and the daughter was in high school, and she needed an interpreter. Mm-hmm. So they hired me right out of high school to be oh, a wow. interpreter and bilingual tutor. So that was my first job is, as an interpreter. Then in around the year of 2000, I started working for a, a company, uh, an agency that had a Hispanic services program for mental health. And I worked as a mental health case manager and interpreter. And I really fell in love with the work that I did there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So after that, most of my jobs were interpreting. In 2004, I started working as an, a, a legal interpreter, um, and in 2012, no, 2017, I became certified as a medical interpreter, so that's how I got my start in the field.
0: Nice. Wow, the only bilingual person <laughs> pretty much in that area, and then you just yeah. fell into interpreting like that. That's really neat, and um, it's good that you know you fell into it and fell in love with it and grew into it, so... We know, you know, at Dillamore Institute, we typically train, you know, the typical tracks, legal and medical interpreters, and we don't really hear a lot about mental health interpreters. So can you tell me a little bit more about that? Like, what exactly is it?
1: Yeah, um, there's not a lot of training available for mental health interpreters, Mm -hmm. but basically mental health interpreters, they can work either in the private or the public sector. Um, I've done a lot of work in the public sector Interpreting for the local mental health um, department, and when I was working for the agency named Family Services of Jamestown, New York, mm-hmm. I was the mental health interpreter for uh, clinics and private psychiatrists and psychologists. So those are the main the main reasons that we need a mental health interpreter is for meetings with a psychiatrist, meetings with psychologists, meetings with a therapist group meetings um group sessions so those are the type different types of things that that you do in mental health and really that's where my heart is um even though right now i dedicate most of my time working in the legal field Mm -hmm. i really love mental health interpreting and it's different from medical and legal in that in mental health interpreting It's kind of a combination of both, of both legal and medical, because obviously you have the medical component where they're meeting with doctors and therapists, but you also have the legal component um, for interpreting for, for example, involuntary commitment hearings or that are held in in a courtroom Mm -hmm. or also doing forensic evaluations. So you have to have a knowledge of both. Both fields to be able to successfully be a mental health interpreter
0: that's really interesting and then do you also do like talk therapy like where people just sit down and speak with their counselor for uh, like an hour session or so
1: yes ma'am yes
0: that's neat that's really interesting and then yeah that's kind of what I figured that it would be like a combination of um you know medical and legal because you know there's a lot of overlap with um, mental health and then you know the court system so that's really neat and then what does that look like, like you know, as you go through the day as you go into an assignment because um, it is it like simultaneous? do you, do you use it consecutive because it 's more question and answer
1: Yes, typically we use consecutive interpreting in mental health because we 're having a conversation of one on one for example, with the therapist or the doctor with the client and 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 just a just a brief note there, we typically call our um, LEPs, clients, we don't call them patients. That's just something that is, not, that, that is done in the mental health field. They prefer that term.
0: How about, um, I know that when it comes to the mental health field and with any helping field, um, it can be a pretty stressful, a pretty intense gig um, for it's got a lot of abstract concepts and it can the conversations can go a lot deeper so um how does that usually work out for you and uh does it ever have an impact
1: well i mean especially if you're doing therapy you typically may may actually follow the person along their their treatment Mm -hmm. course course of treatment so you stay Mm -hmm. with
0: like one person
1: Right, oh, so you okay. might get to know them uh, a little bit more one on one. It can be intense. Um, I remember I had a case where um, we had an involuntary involuntary commitment, and he was mm-hmm. a young a young a young man. And when he figured out that he was going to be involuntarily committed because the police came to transport him, he went ballistic. Oh, he no. started screaming. He started kicking. He started punching. The, the officer had to, to wrestle him down to the floor to calm him down. And meanwhile, I was there interpreting. Of course, I got out of the way because I didn't want to get hit or anything. Right. <laughs> but I was there interpreting for the officer, you know, telling him to calm down and things like that. So it can get pretty intense. Wow. And I actually have an interpreter that I was working with in, in, in New York when I was working for the mental health agency that they were interpreting. He was interpreting for a client. And the client was talking about how he was sad and suicidal. And so as they were talking, he took out a knife and started cutting (gasps) his arm. Oh, wow. Yeah.
0: So you see some pretty intense stuff. It can be.
1: Yes, it can. So you have to do Mm self-care. You know, um, talk about about your feelings with a a coworker or a supervisor um, to help you cope with with the feelings that you can get from working with a population that is maybe, maybe not, you know, it's not healthy. Yeah. It's not a healthy environment. So, so you always have to practice a lot of self-care when you're working in the mental health field. Because Absolutely. if not, you can, you can get, um, you know, you can get sad or, or upset. Mm-hmm. So when you're working in mental health, you need, you need that support system.
0: Yeah, and they provide a good one for you there? Yes, they did. Good, that's great. Yeah, and then, um, wow, so that's a lot, but I'm sure that a lot of other parts of it can be pretty rewarding, right?
1: Yes, it can. When you see a patient or a client um, go through their, you know, working through their issues, Mm -hmm. um, working with their family, seeing how they progress, seeing how they you know the therapy helps them or the the psychiatrist you know the medication regimen that they're on is, is working you know those are moments that you feel satisfied mm-hmm. and encouraged so you can you can get a lot of a lot of um happiness working with with this population.
0: That's really neat. Yeah. To see them kind of making that progress. And then you, um, as the interpreter, you kind of mentioned that you stay with them through that journey. So do they, um, do they like express that gratitude towards you? Like, um, is it, is it a nice relationship between the interpreter and the client or maybe not always? <laughs> Sometimes.
1: Typically, yes, because the person that we're interpreting for Understands that they can't get their message across without the interpreter, so usually they're very grateful That's um, great. that they're able to talk t- to their therapist. And if you're a good interpreter, they'll forget that you're there. Um, yeah. So if you do your job right, the, they will form a, a re- relationship with the with the clinician, apart from the re- relationship they that they may have f- with you. But at the same time, it is important for them to feel comfortable with you. Mm. And feel um, that they have, that that there's a a, really amicable relationship between both of you. Because you're hearing the most intimate details of a person's life. Absolutely. So the person needs to feel sure, um, uh, safe and confident that, first, first of all, that everything that they say is confidential. And that we are interpreting everything that is being said. So that way they're full participants in their treatment and they have a relationship of their own with the treating, the person who's treating them apart from the relationship that they have with the interpreter.
0: Right. And then of course, when it comes to ethics and stuff is, do you usually get um, clients who like try to like have kind of a, not a, like a relationship with you, like to try to connect with you or um, kind of t- treat you as a therapist
1: Definitely. And that's where you have to be careful. A lot of times when they first meet you, you know, they start the typical Latino greeting of, where are you from? Do you have any kids? (laughs) Where do you live? Um, So you have to be careful as as to how much you share with them, because obviously you don't want to put yourself in a compromising situation. For example, I had had a colleague who was interpreting for this one lady, and she gave her her phone number, which was totally inappropriate. So when she had, was in crisis and wanted to kill herself, she called the interpreter. And the interpreter didn't know what to do. So that's just an example of what can happen if you, if you overstep your boundaries or you let other people overstep your boundaries. Um, it can become a serious situation. So definitely you don't want to have a personal you know, you want to be amicable, but you don't want to have a personal in, um, relationship. But you have to realize that they see you, if especially if you're if you're interpreting for a therapist, you're going to see this person quite often, maybe once a week or so, and so th- they do have to have some sort of relationship with you where they feel comfortable with you. Mm-hmm. But but you have to be careful not to allow the boundaries to be overstepped.
0: Yeah. That makes sense. So being compassionate towards them, but keeping it professional as well. Yeah. And so what do you think that um, mental health interpreters, like people going into the field, what types of skills do you think they should have as opposed to, you know, your typical medical or legal interpreter?
1: Well, first of all, they need to not be afraid of the mental health field because I I know a lot of colleagues of mine that refuse to do any mental health work because they're, they're, they're frightened. Mm-hmm. Um, they get scared, um, they think, you know, they think of all the, you know, the media, how they portray people who have mental health issues, you know, they're always really scary, and they're trying to kill somebody, and, <laughs> and so if that's your only um, exposure to mental health problems, then you may not feel comfortable interpreting, so that would, I would say number one would be to not be afraid of the field. Mm-hmm. The other thing I would say is that you need to have compassion, but, have the, but you have to have that inner strength where you don't let yourself become overwhelmed by other people's problems because it's basically what you're going to be talking about the whole time is difficulties and, and problems that this individual is going through. And for some people, that can be very depressing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So you have to have that sort of skill where you can separate yourself from the, the client. Right. You know, interp- it can be difficult because you're interpreting their words and transmitting their emotions. And um, it can be difficult to do that, but it's really important to do that because if not, then you cannot last as, as a mental health interpreter.
0: Right. So, yeah, that seems really reasonable. And I know that you um, talked about that in your webinar as well. It was kind of like separating and then what to do when you're having a moment, you know, when you're in there and you're struggling with the content that you're interpreting. So, yeah, it's definitely really important, um, you know, to stay healthy on the job. I know a lot of therapists as well. They they always, um, there's a saying actually that says sometimes doctors get sick too. So um, definitely encouraging therapists and interpreters for therapists and people with mental health issues to, um, you know, take care of themselves, get that help when yes. they need it.
1: And actually I would say that most therapists also go to therapy. Mm-hmm. It's something that's needed in the, in the profession. You know, they need to have a soundboard and someone to be able to open up to. Yeah. So if you need to have, you know, additional support, and that is through a therapist, then by all means do that, because that will just help your own mental health and allow you to continue to do that work.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, And that can even apply to people in the medical and legal fields as well. I know you see a lot of, you know, really, you hear a lot of really traumatic things that go on. So getting that help is super important. Yes. Yeah. And um, so, Thank you for that explanation. And then, for people who are wanting to enter this field, um, how would they start? I know that um, you know there's no really training for it that has been um, extremely developed yet. But um, how do you step into that world?
1: Well, most of the interpreters that work for mental health providers are usually through a company. Mm-hmm. So if that was something you'd be interested in, you would have to find out who the local department of, of mental health is involved with, who provides their interpreting services, whether they have an employee or an employees, or if they use uh, contractors. Um, so once you're in the field and people get to know you, they'll recommend you because a good interp- mental health interpreter can sometimes be hard to find mm-hmm. um, because people... They insert themselves when they're not supposed to. Like, I had, I had this one interpreter who um, she was interpreting for a client, and the doctor says, So, are you taking this medication? And he goes, um, No. She goes, No, no, no. The, the lady's like, No, no, no. You have to take the medication. <laughs> the interpreter? Yes, the interpreter. Oh, no. <laughs> so oh, she no. overstepped her boundaries. So she didn't last that long as a mental health interpreter because she would always insert herself in the conversation. Right. Um, so once you get started in working in the field, people will get to know you and they'll recommend you and, and you'll be able to, to work as a mental health interpreter. Also the court system, now that is different. You know, they, any, any legal interpreter can be called to interpret in court for, for example, an involuntary commitment. Some, I know of some, some of my colleagues, even though they're certified legal interpreters, they don't dare to do any mental health um, appointments because they're afraid, they're just scared of what they've heard about mental health patients and so they don't feel comfortable in doing it. Mm. So you have to feel comfortable in what you're doing to to be
0: successful. I imagine it takes a really special person and a really uh, you know, kind of confident person who knows themselves to enter this kind of a profession for sure. Exactly. You said it better than I could, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So um yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, I know in my past I um actually study psychology, so I heard a lot about this, you know, like you have to be very, very strong, very careful. Mm-hmm. And you know, what what is your favorite part of a job? I'll ask you that. <laughs>
1: um, my favorite part is when the person starts realizing that they have something that can be treatable. Mm -hmm. Because most of the time, people that start, especially when they start having a mental health problem, they don't understand that it's actually something that's happening emotionally. Mm -hmm. Like we get a lot of people that they go to the emergency room because they think they're having a heart attack and they think that they're going to die. Oh, yeah. And then when they get seen by a doctor, they realize it's actually a panic attack. So a lot of people don't realize that they're having a problem that's related to mental health or emotional issues. So when they realize that there's something that they can actually do to fix it or to address it, you know, they feel grateful. A little bit and, hopeful oh, too, right? Yes. So you know that part of the job it, I really enjoy, um, it, it ha- helping the person realize that you know that everyone has issues. Um, You know, like one, I think the statistics show that one out of every four persons right now have a mental illness. And half of us will have some sort of issue during our lifetime. So, you know, it's not something, it's something common to the human experience. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, so it's something that, like I said, can be worked on. And when the person realizes that and they feel, start feeling comfortable and they start opening up about their issues, you know, then you get to know the person. It, it, is, it is very rewarding.
0: Nice. Nice. And I actually just thought of this, but um, something that we talk about a lot of, especially in medical interpreting, is um, cultural broking. Do you have to do a lot of that when you're um, doing mental health interpreting? Yes, because a
1: lot of the symptoms that people dis- explain may be cultural idioms of distress meaning that the ways that they communicate their symptoms um, are culturally defined. So, for example, they might say, well, um, me dio susto I, in, in Spanish, which in English means I give, was given a fright. I was frightened um, or given us a, a fright. And that can mean a lot of things. Um, that can mean that they had a traumatic event in their house, in their home. Um, it can mean that they believe that someone has has done something to them. So those are the type of things that you have to be able to interpret and explain to the clinician if the, if, if they don't understand what they're talking about. And the way that you can do that is you can just say, when you said, you can ask for clarification, and then ask the client, when you said this, what did you mean?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that's the way to, that you can um, interpret those idioms of distress um, is by asking the client themselves what it is that, th- that they're referring to. Because it doesn't mean the same thing to every person. Right. So you have to know, first of all, what they're talking about. And you do that by asking them.
0: Okay, interesting. Yeah, because I, I know that um also therapists are trained in a lot of, you know, you have to be culturally competent, but um in some cases, there can definitely be that gap of understanding where you're like, okay, I hear you, but what? <laughs> I, I would say that most therapists and
1: psychologists are not really familiar with cultural competency. That's been my experience. Oh, okay.
0: They really look
1: towards the interpreter to help explain those cultural idioms of distress.
0: Okay, so um, this falls more on the interpreter
1: yes i mean it shouldn't because there's plenty like for example in the statistical manual this diagnostic and statistical manual of mental disorders there's a whole section at the at the end of the book that talks about some different idioms of distress and cultural symptoms but i've found that most most clinicians haven't read it oh wow so they could be referred to that but they haven't read it themselves so that's a case where the interpreter needs to be um Mm up-to-date and informed of those sort of things because like I said like like you said it's up to the interpreter usually to like um explain things to the to the clinician
0: right and then of course you'll have to be like pretty well versed in you know mental health um, mental illnesses and um, certain things from the uh, diagnostic manual the DSM so there's probably a lot of studying that goes into that as well.
1: Yes. When I first started working in mental health, I realized that there was not really any, informa- any information out there for mm-hmm. interpreters. So I just did a lot of reading on my own of, of, um, of m- mental disorders, mental illnesses, mental s- symptoms. Um, and I also did research on uh, cultural expressions of distress so I actually
0: taught myself, that's
1: and that's where, that's where I got the inspiration to write the book that I wrote.
0: Which I was going to ask you about. Yeah, tell us about that a little bit. So um, how, what exactly is it about, and then how do, were you inspired to um, write it?
1: Yeah, I and mean, it experience. took me probably about 10 years to, to write it, because I would write it and then put it away and then come back to it. <laughs> 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 but um, I, I wrote it because there was not that, that much information out there. For interpreters specifically, and in terms of mental health, and I wanted to go over things that are, are tip, that are unique to the mental health field, mm-hmm. so that interpreters know what to do when they uh, encounter those those issues. So the book talks about um, cultural issues. It talks about um, code of ethics. Um, it talks about how to work with the clinician. It talks about how to to deal with unusual speech, mm-hmm. um, because, for example, if the person is not being ho- coherent, you know, how do you interpret that? Right. So, the book goes over those
0: points. That's really neat. So it's like your uh, mental health interpreting handbook and like kind of what to do and then familiarizing yourself with all the policies. And I, I wasn't sure, is there a code of ethics for mental health interpreters or is it kind of just um, like a combination of legal and medical?
1: No, there is not for specifically for mental health interpreters. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say it is a combination of medical and legal. And in my book, I go over the code of ethics for both the medical and the legal professions and how they ap- to the mental health profession so the book does go into some detail about that
0: that's really neat and um for those of you who are interested in looking into this book or purchasing the book um if it's okay with you ariana i'm gonna put the link um for the amazon link on the description of this podcast episode
1: yeah that'd be great yeah
0: perfect we'll put your name out there (laughs) (laughs) so That's really neat. This is, you know, a really unique area that I personally, working for Delamore Institute, haven't gotten a chance to um, look into as much since we primarily, like I said, work with the um, typical interpreter tracks. So, thank you so much for coming out of the show and, um, you know, enlightening me a little bit on this topic.
1: Yeah, and on the twenty second, I'm going to be doing a a February. I'm going to be doing a, a. a webinar for Delamora about mental health interpreting. Oh,
0: yeah, you have one coming up. I remember that. So, yeah, I'll insert the link to that as well so everybody can watch and, um, you know, join if they'd like to. It's really interesting. The last one was really interesting as well. So I'll put that in.
1: February 22nd. February o'clock.
0: Perfect. Well, we'll see you there. And thank you so much for coming on to the show today. And um, of course, if you ever want to come on in the future to talk about any topics in your field, then we welcome you. You're welcome anytime.
1: Awesome. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Have a good one. And we'll talk to you soon.